You're listening to Don't Waste Water. We're starting to see it hit people's wallets in a way that we haven't before. And I think, fortunately, unfortunately, I think hitting people in their wallet is one of the fastest ways to see change. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. If it's not going to save the money or it's not going to have a palatable ROI, they're never going to do it. There's very few instances in which they will spend more just to be green. So saving money is, is the key driver, but I do think regulation is key to basically kickstart the conversation for a lot of folks. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome back Aaron Tartakovsky as my guest. We have literally conditioned society to think that wastewater is just that waste. We put waste in the name. So all of a sudden when we're telling people, well, this is something that we've been trained to send it to our sewers, never think about it again. Now we're going to treat it, whether we're putting it back into irrigation, laundry, cooling towers, or eventually into your taps. That's going to take some some changing of, of mindsets and perceptions. It's a question of inertia. It's a question of policy. It's a question of the public mindset. But the good news is that the momentum is building and we are seeing what we like to call a, a bit of a water reuse revolution starting to bubble up, if, I'm, if I may use a water pun. Aaron is the CEO and co-founder of Epic Cleantech. We think we can bring a lot of existing technologies that have not traditionally been in water and do it differently. And I think you're right that you know a lot of these technologies exist, but... They have not been deployed into a lot of different industries, whether that's high-rise buildings, whether that's single-family homes, whether that's into the food and beverage space. And so I think that's a place where we're seeing a lot of success is making water and wastewater important and relevant in industries that have traditionally not really thought about it. Epic Cleantech is a full-service water technology company that deploys on-site water treatment and reuse systems to convert building wastewater into highly purified treated water for non-potable applications like toilet flushing, irrigation, cooling towers, and laundry. Welcome to the second installment of this week's Water Reuse series. If you've missed the first one, that was a dense conversation with Austin Alexander, Xylem's VP Sustainability, my advice, go back and listen to it once you're done with today's insightful, too short for my taste, hence packed discussion with Aaron. And yes, I'm slightly biased. So in today's episode, we discuss the inherent inertia in water management that stems from centuries-old centralized systems, which pose a significant challenge to adopting water reuse. We'll tackle water scarcity from an unusual angle, looking at it as an economic risk, which in turn may accelerate reuse, assuming policies play their role, that's to say as an enabler, not a barrier. We'll discuss how necessity breeds creativity, how there's still legwork to do to overcome public misconceptions about recycled water, and how technologies are reaching a maturity stage that makes them very approachable and plug and play. Let's cut to the chase. It's time for me to open the mic to Aaron, just after reminding you that if you like what you hear, please take this episode and share it with a colleague, a friend, your boss or your team. Make sure to subscribe and I'll meet you on the other side. Sorry to interrupt again, this short host read to tell you that this could be your ad if we were to team up and become partners. Get your brand in front of an audience in 146 countries with the US, UK and Canada as the top three by the numbers on a podcast channel that's been repeatedly sustainability number one in Israel, Singapore and the Baltics in the top 10 in France and the Nordics and almost continuously in the top 50 in the US, UK or Australia. Want to explore partnership options? Then reach out to Antoine at dww.show. The link is in the description and onto the podcast. Hi, Aaron. Welcome back to the podcast. Good to see you again. It's good to see you in the flesh. Last time we recorded online, so that's very different. A bit more noisy, but also more interactions. You will be very surprised at the topic I have to bounce at you, which is water reuse. My question 
is still the same after all that time. Why, when we have all the technologies in the world to advance water reuse, when we have all the signs that we will be missing water, that there is a water crisis, that our infrastructure isn't going to get updated at the rate it should, why don't we still reuse more water? Inertia. We are battling against centuries of how we've done things. A lot of the systems that we have in place, sort of the centralized paradigm, has been in place since the time of the Romans. A lot of our, our, our centralized systems, the design principles we use, haven't fundamentally changed. So all of a sudden, water reuse is a relatively new phenomenon, and it requires the changing of not only the infrastructure, the regulations, and also, pretty critically, the public. We have literally conditioned society to think that wastewater is just that waste. We put waste in the name. So all of a sudden when we're telling people, well, this is something that we've been trained to send into our sewers, never think about again, now we're going to treat it, whether we're putting it back into irrigation, laundry, cooling towers, or eventually into your taps. That's going to take some some changing of, of mindsets and perceptions. It's a question of inertia. It's a question of policy. It's a question of the public mindset. But the good news is that the momentum is building and we are seeing what we like to call a, a bit of a water reuse revolution starting to bubble up, if, I'm, if I may use a water pun. So what triggers that revolution? Necessity. The realization that we just can't do things the same way that we have. The status quo is no longer sustainable. We are seeing cities that are no longer allowing construction of new development projects because they don't have enough water. We're seeing these massive tech companies building data centers to fuel the AI revolution, but we don't have enough water in the, a lot of these areas to cool these data centers. We have farmers who are you know, letting their fields go fallow for the first time in decades because they don't have enough water. We have ranchers who can't provide water for their cattle, which is their lifeblood. So I think we're starting to see it hit people's wallets in a way that we haven't before. And I think, fortunately, unfortunately, I think hitting people in their wallet is one of the fastest ways to see change. And, and look, we've seen that in Israel. Israel is a great example. Israel actually charges for water. They charge higher prices for water. And that's actually one of the biggest and best determinants of changing behavior. Here in the United States, we don't charge appropriately for water and for wastewater, and we don't really charge for water. We really only pay for its treatment and transmission. But I think the status quo of, of not acting is starting to really catch up to us, and I think that's why we're starting to see a lot more action. When we recorded together, I think, 18 months ago, you highlighted how your approach isn't replacing utilities, it's complementing those utilities. Since then, they were numerous studies which shows that we are renewing our infrastructure at a rate that it's supposed to last five centuries, which we know it can't. We see that investment programs aren't pouring the amount of money which would be needed to revamp that infrastructure. So I'm even more convinced 18 months down the line that your solution to reduce the burden on the infrastructure by closing the loop on a much shorter way is the right one. First of all, thank you for remembering what I said 18 months ago. I can barely remember what I said last week, <laughs> but I think you're right. You know, when we entered this space almost a decade ago, there was a different dynamic between us and the utilities. I think a lot of utilities saw decentralized as a threat to their centralized model, that it was us versus them. But I think now there is a realization that it's not us versus them, it's us and them working together. I think we can look at the energy world and that analogy of seeing decentralized and centralized working together to create more resilient systems, to create smarter systems. And by the way, we can deploy these smaller distributed systems a lot faster and at a fraction of the cost. There is no one size fits all solution. I think in a place like San Francisco, the original plan was to come up with a centralized model. We were going to build a central facility. We were going to dig a purple pipe recycled water distribution system throughout the city. But then they realized that the plant was going to take a long time and was going to cost a lot of money. And the direct economic costs, as well as the sort of secondary costs of traffic, 
digging up streets, putting in pipes was going to be prohibitively expensive. And that's why San Francisco created this on-site water reuse program to get us closer to our water recycling goals without having to build a centralized plant, or at least not one of the same scale. And so I think we're seeing a lot more cities, a lot more states, and frankly, a lot more countries adopting this approach, adopting this mindset, because they realize that we just have to do things differently if we're going to be able to keep up with the combined challenges of urban population growth, of aging infrastructure, of climate change. I mean, look, the rate at which we are adding new buildings to our global building stock is like another New York City every single month from now until 2016. I think you remember that statistic. We just can't keep up if we just continue to copy paste the way we've done things. And I think the industry now recognizes that. And that's why I share your optimism for what we're doing as a company. Let me first ask you, and then I give you my personal take. What is the biggest driver to adoption? Is it policy or is it the money? It's both. I think, no, you can't say both. Pick one. I, I always say both because it is, it, it is a, it's an element of both. I think no matter how green-minded a developer is, and we work with a lot of folks who put sustainability at the top of the agenda, if it's not going to save them money or it's not going to have a palatable ROI, they're never going to do it. There's very few instances in which they will spend more just to be green. So saving money is, is the key driver, but I do think regulation is key to basically kickstart the conversation for a lot of folks. What we as a company are asking people to do, on-site water reuse, taking all of this wastewater, treating it and reusing it in the building, this is a new concept for a lot of building owners and developers. These are very sophisticated people building some of the most complex, beautiful skyline changing projects in the world, but they've designed their buildings the same way. We bring water in, we send wastewater out. So when we create these water reuse programs, which shows them, you know, here's the checklist on how to do it. You have to talk to the Department of Public Health, the Department of Building Inspection, the Water Wastewater Utilities, in our case, the SFPC. That helps to de-risk it. And once they've done one and they see, okay, this isn't so complicated. We can do this. Oh, it's not poisoning the residents in my building or all these other sort of doomsday scenarios that they conjure up in their heads. That's what allows these types of projects to then proliferate. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, there are dozens of projects now in development just in San Francisco, but we're seeing it in LA, in Austin, in Seattle, in Hawaii, in New York, and beyond the United States. I mean, we are hosting almost on a weekly basis delegations from around the world to our Epic Clean Tech headquarters in San Francisco. People are coming and studying this model. And I think that's what's amazing now is the first wave of projects are online or coming online. I mean, we are now operating, I think, three and maybe potentially four of the first approved on-site water reuse systems in San Francisco. And that's what we need. We're, we're de-risking it for folks. And so I think it's going to start taking off. But to come back to the original answer, it's money savings, but it's policy. So I, I maintain my original position of both. Last year, you, you came to Switzerland and you earned a prize at the World Economic Forum in Davos. So let me bring you a, a Swiss story. I sat down with some engineers. I'm not going to drop names because maybe they don't want to share it. Uh, they were running some calculations as to does onset wastewater reuse make sense? And they were starting that with the aim to disprove it. Say, look, it might be something if policy supports it, but in Europe, and especially in Switzerland, where we have plenty of water, it's not a thing, and it will never be a thing. And unfortunately for that thesis, they ended up proving that it was absolutely worthwhile, mm -hmm. and that it would be two to three times cheaper than the existing approach. The problem is that policy forbids them to do so. So it's not that policy doesn't incentivize yeah. and reuse, it's that policy prevents actually those engineers sure. to put it in place. Even if 
policy we're not pushing everywhere. Yep. The first step is to prevent them from hindering you. I come from a policy background. I worked in federal politics and I think a lot of people maybe have a negative viewpoint of policy and of regulations as a hindrance to innovation, but I actually see it as critical. And I understand the viewpoint of the regulators. And because of that, our approach, and I, again, this everyone's going to find their own way to do it. Our approach has been to work closely with the policymakers and to be the first ones to go into these places that have never done this, that have regulations that, as currently written, would prevent us from doing what we do. But we've actually had success in multiple cities, whether it's San Diego, California, San Jose, California, and a few other cities and states that I can't mention publicly yet, but it will be public. We're going to be the first ones to ever deploy on-site water reuse systems into those geographies because we work closely with the regulators to say, look, here's the playbook that we developed in city A, B, C, or D. Here's how we can do it in your city. Because a lot of times, it's not that they don't want to do it. It's just they got a lot of stuff on their plates. And all of a sudden, you're asking them to sort of deviate from the already full workload that they have to try something new and in their mind, untested. So when we show them, look, here's the template. We can copy paste this to your geography. We've seen a lot of success. Once we get one system in a city, that then becomes sort of the beachhead for us to be able to get more systems in place because they can come see it, they can feel it, they can touch it. I mean, in the case of us making a recycled water beer, they can taste it. And that's the key. These topics are so unfamiliar that once you make it tangible and you let them see it with their own eyes, that's changed the entire conversation. Yeah, it's this good old thing in the water sector that everybody wants to be first to be second. So you need to find someone to be first so that <laughs> the others can be second. Yes, I like that line. In terms of company updates yeah. on Epic FinTech, you've been raising money? We are not raising money right now. We raised money back in December 2021. We're fortunate that not only do we still have a lot of money, but we are bringing a lot more money in. Fundraising right now is not a priority for us. We right now are just company building. We are executing. We are moving into more cities and more states. We're growing the team. We are growing on nearly every front and we've got some pretty wildly exciting product development efforts that I would say stay tuned in the next year. We're going to be releasing some new ideas that I think will be just absolute game changers for the industry. What is there to, to invent in terms of technology? Come on, it's wastewater. You know, I think it's an interesting point. I often tell this story that my father, born in Ukraine, was trained in the Soviet space program. And, you know, as he often says, you know, what do you think the astronauts have been drinking for the last decades? We have this technology. It's about finding ways to deploy it in new and interesting ways. In our case, we use membrane bioreactors. For those who know membrane bioreactors, they know that they've, those have been around since the 80s. But what we're doing is taking them and putting them into a form factor to go into a nine and a half foot basement, the bottom of a luxury high rise in downtown San Francisco. It's finding new and innovative ways to deploy it, but it's also bringing smart technologies, digital solutions to an industry that has largely been governed by the clipboard army, which is to say folks who go and read a water meter or go to a control panel, write down a, a result on a piece of paper and then report it back to HQ. We think we can bring a lot of existing technologies that have not traditionally been in water and do it differently. And I think you're right that you know a lot of these technologies exist, but they have not been deployed into a lot of different industries, whether that's high-rise buildings, whether that's single-family homes, whether that's into the food and beverage space. And so I think that's a place where we're seeing a lot of success is making water and wastewater important and relevant in industries that have traditionally not really thought about it. I've looked at the Imagineage to a job board recently and you have several openings there. Yes. So you're actively growing the company pretty fast right we, now. We can't grow it fast enough. So that's the limiting factor is that you, you can't find enough brains at the time. It's not that we can't find it. It's just uh, we are looking for amazing folks. We're looking for amazing men and women to join our team. I think we are a small but mighty team. I think we punch way above our weight on many fronts. I think a lot of folks think we're bigger than we are, which is, which is fine. But yeah, we are growing. We're expanding into new markets. We're developing new products. I think this is really just the beginning of Epic Clean Tech. Is it 
open data and things you're, you're sharing the size of the company, your turnover, things like that. Are you ready to share that? Yeah. I mean, look, we are, our team is 15 people. In terms of geographies where we are right now, we have folks in San Francisco, Las Vegas, Scottsdale, Austin, San Diego. And I think we're going to be expanding even faster into places like the East Coast. You're very distributed. We are very distributed. You know, Our base of operations is in California in the San Francisco Bay Area, but we are a distributed team that makes us lean and mean. And your turnover? I would say, you know, this year we are going to see about an 800% increase in our revenue. We're seeing a pretty significant jump in our new bookings, in our sales pipeline. I mean, we only commercialized at the end of 2020 and we're now in the, the nine digits in terms of the number of projects that we're talking to. Impressive. It's fun times at Epic Clean Tech. I have a set of super rapid fire questions for All that right. water reuse deep dive. If you had to describe the future of water reuse in just one word, what would it be? Sexy. That's a good one. If you could instantly change one thing that would accelerate wastewater reuse, what would it be? The price of water. I've heard that already today, so it seems you have a good alignment with your co-panelists. So what's the most common misconception about water reuse that you'd like to debunk? That the water is not safe. Is it still something you have to debunk? I would say for the general public, there is a yuck factor. I think there's just a general reticence around the whole concept of recycled water that it is lesser than drinking water than tap water. I would say maybe in the industry, in the sort of bubble that we operate in, that there's an understanding that water, recycled water, treated water is all safe. But I think when you expand out into the general public, to our customers, building owners and developers, the people who live in these buildings, there is a, a misunderstanding about recycled water. So that is one that we definitely need to debunk further. What's the one thing you'd like listeners to do just after they listen to that? I want people to think about how water gets to their taps and what happens when wastewater leaves their homes? What happens after they flush their toilets? Too few people understand how, this, how these systems actually work. So what I would implore people to do is just take a little time to watch a YouTube video, maybe even visit your local water wastewater treatment facility and learn about all of these folks who work 24 seven and through holidays to make all of these systems function. I think that's gonna be a key thing. It's just a general lifting of the pub public's knowledge of how these systems work because if they know how the systems work and they know what's not working well, they'll be better advocates for that change. Whatever. It's been a repeated pleasure to speak with you. I would love to one day visit one of your facilities and have a tour. I know that one of your facilities is pretty popular because there's a webcam and <laughs> I see regular screenshots of people visiting it. So I guess it must be exactly what you said. You need to have that beach head in order to reproduce it. Yeah. I'd love to have a tour one day. One, there is an always an open invite for you and in terms of the camera we like to create a little bit of a Disneyland experience where when you come visit Epic you leave with a little souvenir photo so that's what we've done we would be honored to have you join us to bring your recording equipment and maybe we'll film an episode on top of our six and a half foot golden toilet throne that sounds super exciting awesome thanks a lot yeah thank you Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.